So John chapter 12, I don't think I said that. John chapter 12, we're there. And last week, um, and I want to kind of go back to that scene. Last week, um, in, in John chapter 12, uh, we're brought into this, this dinner. And this is a large dinner, okay? We, we know the characters, the main characters that are there. Jesus is there. We've got Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead. He's there, so he's kind of uh, this, you know, this this special figure that everybody wants to come and just see. They probably just want to touch him and poke him, make sure he's real. And, and Mary and Martha are there. And, uh, and we see at this large gathering, this dinner, Martha is serving. And Ryan touched on uh, serving last week. And then we see Mary do something very unexpected. Mary takes uh, this very costly ointment that smelled incredible, I would imagine, and dumps it out over Jesus's feet. And as she's pouring that out, she's wiping his feet with her hair. And we go to the scene where everybody's there and they're watching this act of worship that had to have just stunned them. And, 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 and literally, we talk about a fragrance of worship. That was a literal thing. People are smelling the worship. And, and, and we know that that was like a year's wages and she's there and she's, she's literally um, going through this, this act of just pure worship. And, and as they're there, uh, I would imagine some are blown away, but we know that there's another character, one of Jesus's closest followers named Judas. And as this is going on, Judas isn't getting caught up in the fragrance of worship and seeing this act. He is caught up in how much money is being poured out. So last week I was gone and my wife and I, we were able to get away without kids. We, yeah. we, and if you're a kid in this space, we love you. You're awesome. Um, you are such a blessing uh, in every way. But man... <laughs> and uh, as we got away, it was our first time that we like had a vacation without our kids since we started having kids, which seems like a different lifetime ago. And as we're away, we decided to do something we haven't done in a long time, which is go to a fancy restaurant. Okay, like I said, we have three boys. We sh we we go away from the nice restaurants. Uh, we know that that we are frowned upon as soon as we walk in because now we're impeding on someone else's romantic meal. So we're like, we're going to do this. And, and, and now romantic restaurants by nature are what? And expensive, okay? And, uh, and so we're, we're, go we're there and we're sitting and, and you open, you're excited. You're looking into each other's eyes for like the first time in years again. No, we, we look, we're good, we're good. Like, oh, that pastor is struggling. Yeah, yeah. And you open the menu, and, and what hits you? Yeah, the price. You're like, I mean, great food, but uh, you've got, you've got, you're confronted with, with dollar figures that are not normal. Those aren't Happy Meal prices. And, and, and so you're hit with this, and, and, and within me, and I don't know about you, but within me, there's this internal struggle that's happening okay, we need this. This is important. We need to celebrate love. But ooh, do we need to celebrate it this much? <laughs> right? And, and, and uh, you know, we were down in, in Mexico. And so it's like we know every bottle of water that's coming has a price tag. 
uh, and, and, and you're tempted, right? Like, but, but you're trying to like find that balance of how do we just soak this in and just, we need this, let's just spend the money versus like, do you see how much that is? No, we don't want an appetizer. Nope, and, and we're full, we don't need dessert. Thank you, uh, this was great, right? And, and so you're trying to not make it that, okay? When, when, when we see this situation, Judas is not frugal. Judas is a thief. He's looking at that money, and, and, and he says to Jesus, what, what a waste. This, this, this should be uh, for uh, those that are poor, that don't have anything. And, and so, so he's saying this, but we know because it tells us he's actually been stealing. And, and, and so Jesus responds to him and talks about how Mary is choosing the most important, how Mary is, 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 is choosing to honor, to worship him in his last days, and, and he reminds him, you're not gonna have me much longer, and so she's chosen to do this. This is what's most important. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to discipline your kids with your eyes, but I would imagine it was much more than what Jesus said to Judas. He gave him some looks, like, shut your mouth. You don't know what's going on here. And because of that interaction, we see something go down that very night that we need to know as we pick this up. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, we, we see what happens after Jesus addresses Judas. It says this, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So right after that dinner, Judas is like, I'm done. And, and I got to believe that also Judas is maybe picking up on something that the other disciples hadn't picked up on. Jesus is not going to be this political deliverer that I thought. So I'm at least going to get paid. And so he goes and he sells Jesus away and ultimately it sets in place this chain of events that we pick up on today as we look at verses 12 through 19. All four gospels record this event. And if you've gone to church or grown up in church, you've probably heard this story. We call it Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. And, and so we're gonna look at that today in August, which is gonna be fun. So, Let's pick up in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. It says this, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. 
So the very next day, that morning, Jesus uh, gets up. And, and as he heads into Jerusalem, it's not just him and his closest disciples. We see a crowd is with him. There's a crowd, and, and not only are they behind him, but, but, but they're in front of him proclaiming who he is. And not only this, from verses 17 through 19, we know that after he raised Lazarus from the dead, many that were there, it says, continued to bear witness. In other words, they went into Jerusalem and were telling everybody in the city, and the city's full of people, hundreds of thousands, some say millions of people are there uh, to celebrate the festival, pilgrims from all over the known world, and they're spreading this message that Jesus has raised someone from the dead. And so there's this crowd behind him coming in, and now there is this massive crowd coming out to see, to hear, to get a glimpse of this man who did that. And these two crowds absolutely collide together and form this massive parade all around Jesus. And, and they're excited. They're saying all the things you would, you would hope and dream that they would say. Uh, they're cutting uh, down these, these palm uh, branches. And, 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 and when, we, when we look at that, during the intertestamental period, palm branches became a general symbol of victory and celebration. When the Jews, led by Simon the Maccabee, recaptured Jerusalem from the Syrians, they entered it with praise and with palm branches. And we even know later on that when Israel rebelled against Rome, uh, they would mint their own coins with palm branches. And so it was the symbol of victory. And this crowd is, is quoting from Psalm 118, 25 and 26, where it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So, so they're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is what they're shouting. Now, Hosanna was a term of praise. In the Hebrew, it literally means save us now. And so they, 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 they take that, and then they take the very next verse there, and they apply it to Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are absolutely affirming that he is the Messiah. They are proclaiming it. He's the Messiah. You're the one we were expecting, anticipating, waiting for. See, they had built up over time. They've grown up hearing about this Messiah that was going to come. And, and so they've, they've grown up just longing for this, waiting for this, hoping, uh, and, and, and people had claimed to be him. But finally, I mean, this guy raised someone from the dead. He's done all of these incredible miracles. And, and so they've built up this image in their mind. Now, the image in their mind, I mean, it had to be uh, just crazy, Right? There's certain things in, in your life that, that maybe you've, you've never seen or experienced, or maybe it's a person, and you, would, uh, you had imagined what it would be like, and maybe it was a letdown. Okay? For them, this Messiah, I mean, they're picturing this king, this military warrior who's going to ride in on this white stallion, and they're all going to know it's him, and they're going to be like, he is going to lead us to victory over Rome. We're ready. We're going to follow this military conqueror. That's what they're expecting. We even see earlier in the book of John, after Jesus had fed uh, the 5,000, that they wanted to make him king by force. 
and he had resisted. See, Jesus, the Messiah, he has come as the victorious king, but just not in the way that they expected. See, when it came to the Messiah, they had selectively read the promises from the Old Testament. They had selectively read it. See, all they saw when they read that, all they saw was a political savior for Israel. But the promise of of a victorious king of the Messiah was far greater than that, far greater than Israel. See, the Messiah came to what? To bring spiritual salvation from sin. He didn't come to bring political salvation from Rome. I mean, they're consumed with Rome. Their enemy in their minds It's Rome. Guys, Jesus wasn't concerned at all with Rome. When you look at his life and you put yourself in that setting, you guys, Rome dominated the known world. It was in conversations. They were reminded of that every time they paid taxes, everything. It's Rome, Rome, this, Rome, that. And Jesus is just on his mission. And and he is, is totally like, Rome who? Right? Because he had a greater plan and purpose. Right? His greatest enemy wasn't Rome. It was sin and death. That's what he was focused on. And and, and we see that, that in the past, Jesus had refused to be hailed as the king, but this time he allows it, and they're going crazy around it. They're going so crazy around him. We read this in Luke, Luke's account in Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. It says, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So so the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're there. They're hearing what's being said about Jesus. They hear him being proclaimed and hailed as the Messiah. And and they're there listening to this. And they're like, you can't take credit for that. That's not you. You shut that down. And he says, listen, if I shut that down, that's going to speak. That's going to cry out. See, he was finally in their minds accepting this role as the political and military deliverer. Except when political figures came into Jerusalem, it was a little different. See, there were trumpets that sounded. There was, there was soldiers, an army that went out before them. And then here they would come, this, this incredible person, either on this white stallion or, or on a chariot, you know, doing the wave and, and all of those uh, things. And Jesus came a little bit differently, didn't he? No soldiers, no war horse. In fact, we see something here that honestly, honestly, it's strange. In verses 14 and 15, what does it say? It says, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, some of us, we've grown up in church maybe, or we've heard this story a thousand times, and we don't look at that at all and go, oh, that's interesting, a donkey. No, we, we go, a donkey, yeah. Think about that for a second. You just assume the Savior of the world is going to come sit on a donkey? Do you know donkeys? 
Do you know donkeys in those days during that time period? I mean, you got, and, and this is a little donkey. This is a young donkey, never been ridden. Okay, so, so some of us in our minds, for whatever reason, because we're human, we've built up this donkey like it's this majestic animal. That's not how donkeys were viewed, and they were just little guys. And so, and so Jesus literally, had, we know that he told his disciples by the other accounts to go and find this donkey. They go and bring him there and stop thinking majestic steed and think petting zoo. And they bring this donkey and literally a lot of the donkeys, most of the donkeys that they would raise during those times, and especially a young donkey. I mean, he's probably bending his knees so his feet aren't hitting the ground. This is not this just like moment that we've all built up. This is not the image on the flannel graphs. This is different, okay? It's, it, it, it's, it, it's no picture that anybody would look at and go, wow, wow. In fact, people ask, I wonder what Rome was doing because the, the Roman guards, those that were there in position, they were trained to look at and, and, to, and, to, and to make sure there were no what? No uprisings. This is a pretty big uprising. And, 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 and so we're like, well, what are they doing? What are the Roman soldiers doing? I bet you they were laughing. I bet you literally they were up there on the walls looking at this going, George, come here, you got to see this. You will not believe this. They are worshiping a guy on, a, on one of those donkeys. And, and, and that's, that's, that's their Messiah. They're calling him a king. Right? By, by all accounts, that doesn't measure up to the image that we have, that they had. Instead of riding on this war horse or a chariot, Jesus entered Jerusalem on this donkey, purposefully fulfilling the quote there in verse 15, which is Zechariah 9.9, a messianic promise, prophecy that he is fulfilling. This isn't the picture that we've had in our minds and what the choice of this donkey reveals, not only is he fulfilling prophecy, but that his victory as king would be achieved through humility. Jesus entered Jerusalem as the humble prince of peace. He identified with God's Messiah, not their Messiah, right? Because God's Messiah was gonna enter in. He's gonna come in meekness, in humility. And that's how Jesus rides in. See, they're, they're expecting the, their version of the Messiah to liberate them from Rome, crushing these nations. And yet he comes to bring what? Peace to the nations, right? In fact, Zechariah 9.10 uh, talks about a second coming and, and, and speaks to how he's going to speak peace to the nations. But this crowd is unfazed. They are unfazed by the donkey and the symbolism there. And they're just spreading their coats, an act of honor reserved for royalty. They're spreading that before him. They're placing these palm trees. They're waving it. And, and, and so they're just caught up in this moment. And Jesus is once again, he's receiving it. And he's walking through the, these crowds as they're yelling, as they're chanting, as they're, as they're uh, just worshiping out of this posture, declaring him to be the Messiah. And, and, and you would almost assume he's just like, finally, right? Finally. But we see his response is a little different when he approaches Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, it says this, and when he drew near and saw the city, 
he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus, he's receiving this praise. And as he gets a glimpse, as he sees Jerusalem there, and as he's looking around, he's overwhelmed in this moment. And we see once again, just as when he uh, wept at the tomb of Lazarus, we see Jesus just weep, just weep. He weeps because he sees the true condition of their hearts. He sees what's actually there. And not only does he see the true condition of, of their hearts, but, and guys, this is, this is the picture of Jesus you need to understand and you need to know because our image a lot of times of Jesus is that he would go through that crowd and just be like, you're a fraud, you're a fake, you're superficial, this isn't genuine. No, Jesus is receiving and he's weeping over the true condition of their hearts. If you think you're faking it and, and you think uh, that, that he doesn't know and, and, and you're trying to hide uh, what's really there in your heart and you're just going through the motions, he weeps over the condition of your heart. He weeps. It breaks his heart to see what's actually going on in your heart and yet you're proclaiming something totally different. And so he sees that, and, and, and what does that come out of, the true condition of their hearts? Well, they missed it. They had missed the reality that the Savior of the world, they, they missed who he really was. And, 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 and as he's there on the scene, he's realizing the ramifications for them missing it. And he's not only confronted with this worship that's not, that's not real, that's not genuine, it's, it, it's not uh, out of truth, but he's also confronted with the reality that the city that he's staring at right now is about to be destroyed. And we know that in 70 AD, the Romans would come and after a siege of 143 days, they would kill 600,000 Jews and take thousands more captive and destroy the temple and the city. Jesus is seeing all of this in his head, and he's weeping. They'd missed it. They'd wasted their opportunity with him. But not, not only is the crowd missing it, but we see in verse 16, who else? It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. See, the crowd wasn't the only ones that missed what was happening because you would think surely they would get it. His disciples would understand and get it. Nope, they missed it uh, as well. They, they didn't understand that at Jesus' first coming, he came as Savior. They missed it even after he resurrected, right? Like, okay, he's resurrected. Okay, guys, now you get it. Nope. In fact, in Acts chapter one, verse six, this is after he's resurrected. This is what, this is what they say. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom for Israel? Have you ever just gone, are you kidding? You still don't get it? I mean, Our boy's grandpa told him the word knucklehead 
So they call everybody a knucklehead right now. That's what Jesus is thinking. It's like knuckleheads. They still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They didn't get it until the coming of the Holy Spirit after Jesus was glorified. Then they remembered these things that were written and these things that happened to him, and it finally made sense. Now, who's the other people that are in this crowd? Well, uh, there's the Pharisees, right? Now, the Pharisees, they're alarmed. Uh, They're very concerned. Why? They have been plotting to arrest him. They've been plotting to kill him, but they want to wait to kill him till after the festival's over, till everybody's gone. But here they are, and you know that by how Jesus is receiving this praise right now, he's like, nope, you're gonna have to do it sooner than you think. I'm forcing your hand. And so as they're watching this, they're, they're, they're literally just going, what do we do? We've told everybody, if you know where he is, tell us where he is, arrest him, bring him to us. And there he is in plain sight in front of them, but he's surrounded by thousands of people hailing him as the Messiah. And they can't arrest him because all these people are claiming he's the Messiah. So what are they going to do? They'll have a riot. And so they're there and they, start, and they start fighting each other. And then ultimately, what do they exclaim? Look, the world has gone after him. Now this is hyperbole, right? They're not, they're not saying literally every person on the planet has gone after him. They're saying people in general. Look at the people. Look at them all. They're all going for him. What's so sad about this story is we, having God's word completed, we know by the end of that same week, we know within a matter of days that the very people, those very mouths that were declaring praise, that were declaring he's the Messiah, would in a matter of days be yelling, crucify him. A matter of days. See, their view of the Messiah, it came from them selectively choosing from Scripture what they wanted from their Savior. See, everything was about them. They were the purpose. They read Scripture making themselves the purpose. Everything was about their nation. Everything, he was their savior, right? So, so it's about us. It's about our nation. He's our savior. But, but they're literally ignoring major pieces of scripture because in Genesis 12, 3, God promised Abraham what? All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples. Isaiah prepared the people for the coming of the king and he calls him a light to the nations, In Isaiah 42, 6. Later on, uh, he he talks about through him, God's salvation will reach the end of the earth in Isaiah 49, 6. And you better be thankful for that because that's us. The Messiah was never only a king of Israel. He was coming to call all people, all nations, every tongue, tribe. He was calling them all to a relationship to the one and true God. But their worship was based on Jesus doing what they wanted him to do for them. Guys, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Every time I read this, every time I'm confronted with, how could you guys turn so quickly? 
How in the world could you say these things one day and in a matter of a few days, you can turn completely and not just be like, we don't want anything to do with you, but get to the point where you could say, kill him. How do you turn that quickly? Well, you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing because what happens is, and like I said, it's the same thing that we struggle with. We attach our expectations of him to our worship of him. We attach the expectations that we have, the things that we expect him to do, the, how we expect him to deliver, the wrongs that we believe he needs to make right, the health in our bodies, the health in our lives, the relationships, our family members, our job situation, our relationships. We take all of that into our relationship, into our worship of him. And it permeates every part of our lives in serving. Ryan talked a lot about serving last week and God calls us into serving. He's gifted us for serving, but there's so many of us that can take serving and all of a, su- all of a sudden we're saying, hey God, do you see how I'm serving? Hey God, I need you to do this because I'm serving you. Right? So, so, so God, because I serve you and we're on good terms because of that, I need you to come through here. God, why aren't you healing this? Why aren't you healing me? Do you see I'm serving? And God, if, if, if I serve, then will you do that? We take it into like giving, like, like financially. I mean, she just dumped a year's worth of salary on his feet. We're like, that's giving. And, 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 and we're like, and I, man, I was the same way. When I first started giving to a church, I remember going, God, you see this? That's when we had cash in those days. You see this? Now you just like swipe or whatever. You say, God, I'm doing this for you. You said test you. I'm doing it. Now what are you going to do for me? How are you going to bless me? And every challenge, every financial challenge, every financial decision, God, do you see? I'm doing it. I'm doing what you ask. I'm, I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping you, God. And even some of us, we have taken that same mindset in entering a relationship with him, in surrendering our life. God, I will go all in with you. I will receive you as Lord and Savior of my life if you fix my marriage. God, if you heal this relationship, God, if you heal me, if you fix this addiction in my life, God, I'm all yours. God, if, if you make this work out, if this job happens, God, I, I, I'll serve. I'll, I'll love you. I'll, I'll, I'll be consistent with you. God, you can have all of me, but you just need to deliver on that end. Guys, that is the same thing that was going on. We are no different. We are waving the palm trees. They're just in our minds. We're doing the same thing. We have attached, we've hijacked worship, pure worship of him, and we've taken it and we've made it to where, yes, I'm gonna worship you, but ultimately my desires are the point. You coming through for me is ultimately why I'm worshiping you. And that's the heart that was going on in these people. We want him to be our version of the Messiah. And it's so dangerous. We will take God's word even and we will selectively read the words we want to see, the words we want to receive that we believe benefit us, that speak to us. And then we'll just, the ones that we don't want, we're like, uh, that's not there. No, that's for, that's for Johnny. That's, for, that's not for me. 
and we build it out. We, we selectively choose what we want to hear. And when he doesn't come through, what happens? When I'm no longer the beneficiary that I feel like I should be of walking with Jesus, what happens? Well, we may not yell crucify him, but we just turn from him. We say, nah, you didn't pan out. You didn't do what I heard you would do. You didn't fulfill the promise that I had for you. I'm still struggling in this area. I don't have enough zeros yet in my bank account. I, don't, I didn't get the job that, 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 that I prayed for. This relationship didn't work out. Uh, this thing is broken now, God. And so, you know what? Ultimately, uh, I'm over it. Guys, here's what's so scary about this situation here is absolutely everything we read in scripture in this situation that they're saying to Jesus, it is biblical and it is accurate. Do you see that? They're, they're, they're saying all of the right things. They're attaching messianic titles to him. Guys, we can speak in such a way that reflects truth and yet our hearts can still be far from truth. See, it was their hearts. It was the, the intentions in them that was far from God. And so we have to be aware of that. Another truth that's found here is when we make ourselves the point of his promises, we miss the greater plan. They, they, they missed it. He's weeping. They missed it. They had their shot. They had their opportunity. They, had, they missed it. And, and, and even the disciples, they didn't understand what he was doing. And, and, and here's the reality. Sometimes we can be so consumed with what we want to see happen, but it's not happening, but we're consumed with it happening, with our desire for it to happen, that it actually, that situation, that relationship, uh, that, that health issue, that actually blinds us to what God is actually clearly doing in our lives. Do you understand that? We can become so tunnel visioned, just like they were in their political Messiah, we can become so tunnel visioned in God doing this one thing. And for some of you, honestly, this is a little convicting because it's like, uh, yeah, it is like one or two things. Those are my big hangups. And you're consumed with it. And, 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 and because we're so consumed in it, we are not even seeing or acknowledging all that God is clearly doing in our lives. And guys, that, you're missing it. You're just missing it. And, and so that's what the enemy's gonna try and do, you guys. He's gonna try and hijack your worship. He's gonna try and make you the point, you the beneficiary. He's gonna make you believe that you deserve something. You <laughs> deserve something? You guys, that Messiah went to the cross for you and for me. That Messiah paid the penalty of our sins, which we all have done. And he paid that penalty, not to rescue you from, I don't know, whoever right now, but he rescued you eternally from your sin. The only thing that really matters, he's rescued you from that from that bondage, from that affliction. And so anything that happens in your life 
You, you got to quit going, man, well, I deserve this. I think I should have that. They got that. Um, or, you know, his promises say this, so I'm going to hold him to that. Like, no, you just walk by faith and obedience to him. Don't get consumed on the outcomes you want, but just say, God, help me to appreciate and worship you out of spirit and truth, not out of what I want, not out of my desires, because God, you are enough, and I don't want to miss the greater, the better plan, because the plan was way bigger and better than their nation. It was everybody that he was going to the cross for. And you guys, we are going to miss the bigger, the greater, the greatest plan for your life if you allow yourself to be consumed in this one little area this one little relationship, this one little job situation that you say, God, you have to come through here. And, and, and it consumes your heart. It consumes your Bible reading. It consumes you as you sit here. It consumes you as you sing, as you pray. He says, stop. You're missing what I'm doing right now. Take a second, even right now. I mean, we're gonna go into a, a moment of praise. Guys, it's easy to find negative. Literally, just pop open your phone. Boom, there it is. Open a newspaper, there it is. But will I actually look and reflect and go, God, what are you doing right now? And how am I actively seeking you? Am I actually allowing him to speak when I read this? Or am I cutting him off? Am I saying, oh, that's good. Perfect. Am I taking his word? And and, and I'm saying, well, I could have said this better. In my my prayer time with him, am I I actually listening? Am I listening? Or am I I taking uh, God's word and and I'm just twisting it enough uh, to where the outcome I desire happens? Or will I just allow him to speak? You guys, two of our core values, walk in truth and be led by the Holy Spirit. My goodness, if you can just get that, you will be amazed and he will be enough and you'll be able to see his hand in your life even when times seem negative, even when times seem tough, even when physically your body is, is, is deteriorating, even when relationships seem to be crumbling, even when your job, your career isn't panning out, even when your bank account, whatever it may be, is not adding up to what you desire. If you're following him, if your worship is pure from the core of your heart to him and you're worshiping from that place of truth, out of faith, out of obedience, you guys, it will not matter. You will be unshakable, immovable because you have the chief cornerstone that you're holding on to. Man, if we could get that as a church. So let's, let's ask ourselves, where are we at as we worship, as we come to him? as we pray to him, as we read his word, where are we at? Where's our hearts at? Not how do you look, not how do you sound, not how much do you know, but who's the beneficiary? Who's the point? Let's pray.